This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Today, as we continue on this journey through the signs that were uh, recorded in the Gospel of John, we're on John chapter 11, the last of the signs, the the seventh sign, and it's uh, dealing with the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. And so we will uh, deal with part one of the story today and then part two next time. Ian, lead us into the story. So the resurrection of Lazarus um, highlights Mary. Uh, She's mentioned uh, more times than any other person except Peter in the Gospels. And one of the popes didn't like that. So he gave her a bad reputation and said, uh, identified her with the woman in chapter 12. Uh, because he felt that a woman was uh, taking too high a profile. How about that for an interesting story? Well, that's that. I had not heard that before. That's oh, very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. So, um, don't you want to make a protest speech, Sasha, and uh, <laughs> say something rude about men? No, I don't really, because, you know, I mean, we can't get too much airtime because otherwise that wouldn't be. <laughs> oh, we might I have love too a, much to say. I love a woman that knows her place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, let's get started with the text. All right. Uh, Warren, would you like to take it away? Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Mm. So Bethany, Sasha, I don't think you've been to Israel. and You don't want to go there right now. (laughs) Bethany is east of Jerusalem. So you walk uh, from the Golden Gate, which is also facing the east, and the temple also faced the east. And the reason for that was so that when you went to the temple, you turned your back on the rising sun, mm-hmm. which the pagans worshipped. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you, were, you walk from the Golden Gate, which is sealed up, by the way. It was sealed up by the uh, the Muslims because they they didn't want Jesus coming like the Christians portrayed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you walk east, you go down through the valley, uh, and at the bottom of the valley, you have the Garden of Gethsemane, and then you go up to the ridge, which is the top of the escarpment, and you can look down into the Jordan Valley. Mm-hmm. And right in the top of the escarpment is the 
uh, village of Bethany. Mary has not yet anointed Jesus. Uh, uh, that will only come in later in the next chapter. Um, but Mary is the central figure in the story, even though Lazarus is resurrected. You'll notice how it's written. Uh, he was from Bethany, the village of Mary. Mm. Well, it was the village of Martha also, mm. uh, and Lazarus. But it's like Mary's being uh, brought into the spotlight. And she's the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, so if you take all the Marys mentioned in John, you have an interesting puzzle on your hands. And Warren likes to figure out that puzzle, and maybe we'll do it at some other time. But not today, Warren. We've got okay. other fish to fry. All right. <laughs> so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Mm -hmm. So how did the sisters know that Jesus loved Lazarus? Well, it seems that they spent quite a bit of time in in their home, that Jesus and the disciples did. Mm -hmm. So are they including themselves or just Lazarus? Or are they just being uh, politically correct? Yeah, I think probably. <laughs> so this leads me to a question. Do you know who loves you? Mm. No. Yeah, you know, I'm not asking, does your husband love you or do your parents love you or do your ever-loving children love you? Uh, I'm asking you an existential question. Mm -hmm. Apart from your family, do you know who loves you? As you know, it was interesting. Yes, yesterday we were visiting with uh, some friends and she didn't know me as a pastor came to know me after I had retired and she didn't realize that I'd been a pastor. So she said, so do you, do you, uh, do you have people that love you? And uh, I said, yeah, I think I, you know, I think I do. And I know of one lady who she for years now, she's getting quite elderly and, but she would make us special treats like pierogies and, and, and cakes and, and sweets at Christmas time. Just because mm. she she loves us. That's special. That's awesome. How about you, Sasha? Do you have anybody that loves you? Yeah, I definitely do. I have some good friends that some I speak to often, but just the conversations that we have, they are just wholeheartedly there and there's no judgment there. Mm-hmm. And that feeling when you can just talk exactly how you feel about things and they are right there with that. And they're just like, oh, I so hear you or, you know, oh, man, that must have been tough or whatever it is. You know, that that real um, being with someone. Um, yeah, I'm very fortunate that I have um, some of that in my life. And I'm just I, I love that feeling. Yeah. So I'm just uh, very interested in uh, your criteria for someone loving you. Warren says it's about food, and uh, you say it's about uh, being non-judgmental. Yeah. I'm going to use that criteria and say, Sasha loves me because she made me a Black Forest cake once. And uh, Warren loves me because he's non-judgmental of me. So thank you for making that so easy. 
<laughs> well, I do I do know my place, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so the Greek word used here is phileo, or the word for friendship. It's not the agape, agapia word. Um, and this is uh, part of the revelation of who Jesus is as a human being. He was drawn to some people more than others. You know, when we talk about the love of God, we talk about it like <clears throat> air or mm -hmm. sunshine. You know, air doesn't love some person more than others. Now, some people might breathe it more deeply than others. Oh, that's a good, I like that way, because then it is very much up to the other person receiving as much as they need. I That's a beautiful description of it. That's my favorite. I'm taking that one into my life. <laughs> yeah. How much do you want to breathe in? So this explains why Jesus loves, uh, <clears throat> excuse my voice, uh, loves Lazarus and why he had three best friends. And and John would refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Mm -hmm. And it was more a statement about John than it was about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Okay, let's move on. When he had heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So I wonder if the sisters heard this response by Jesus before Lazarus died. Maybe they never heard this response because Jesus is up in Galilee. Uh, it's a, a couple of days uh, walking uh, to get down. And uh, what do you think it means uh, that now it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it? Well, I feel like it was similar, actually, to the last story that we talked about. Um, there was that section in there where it was like, you know, this was done so that God could be glorified. I think Jesus is forecasting that this is going to be a major miracle that will bring attention to him and bring glory to him uh, and, and be kind of the final... Um, thing that will convince the church leaders that they'll have to deal with him. He he was aware of this, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I like that element, how you're saying it's, it's just predictive. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's saying, I made him sick so that I could do something with this. Yeah. Yes, we, we have this repeated problem that it sounds like God created uh, misfortune so that Jesus could come along and uh, deal with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've dealt with that. And uh, so uh, at least the messengers would have been encouraged by Jesus' comment. Now, when Jesus says the sickness will not end in death, Lazarus does die. So how do we make uh, sense out of Jesus' saying? Well, Jesus in this story doesn't refer to Lazarus's death as death. He refers to it as a sleep. Hmm. So it seems he's making that distinction here. So Lazarus will sleep for a few days mm -hmm. and Jesus will come and wake him up. Well, let's go back to the text. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, 
He stayed where he was two more days. So there were four messianic miracles. These were tests uh, that if anybody claimed to be Messiah, he would be able to do these four messianic miracles. And one of them was that he had to resurrect somebody who had been dead at least four days. The other three are healing a Jewish leper, which had never happened, uh, and um, exorcising a demon-possessed dumb person, and uh, uh, healing some congenital defect. So Jesus in, actually does all four of these miracles, and yet some still were able to reject him as Messiah. It's like logic and reason will fail you in the end. Now, relationship with God, Jesus, is not transactional. It has more to do with our emotions than our reason. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm suggesting we should be illogical. I'm just saying that relationships are not primarily based on logic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're on verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Thank you. So Jesus is mixing two concepts here. Uh, he's taking the literal one of that if you don't have light, normally sunlight, you're going to stumble over obstacles in your way. Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, been in a strange place and you don't want to turn the light on and you try and find your way around at night. Um, it's quite an interesting experience. <laughs> Yeah. But then he's also talking about if you walk without the spiritual light of God, you're going to stumble um, at uh, things that happen in your life. Mm -hmm. The Spirit is leading Jesus to Bethany, and he will go because the Spirit provides the light of life in spite of the malice of the Jewish leaders. Being led by the Spirit means that we are willing to be inspired uh, beyond our desires. It's not the elimination of desire, which is Buddhism. It's the desire to honor God and tell others about him. So I don't know if you know, know have noticed that I, I have a hang-up with submission. Um, now, that may be because I'm male uh, and uh, arrogant, and you can add a few more epithets there. But in my life, I follow a hero. And the reason I follow Jesus is because he's my hero, not because I'm called to submit to him. If he's my hero, submission's part of the package. But to call for submission without a hero uh, doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm just confessing my sin. Um, I hope you won't use it against me. <laughs> I love it. I resonate. 
So um, let's go on to the text. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Mm -hmm. So this is a very important uh, distinction to make. Uh, you get yourself into all sorts of trouble if you're not aware of this distinction that Jesus made. So Jesus promised three times in chapter 6 to resurrect people at his second coming. This is why he refers to what happens now at the end of life as sleep. It's not the final destination, but a temporary state of annihilation caused by Adam's sin. So I just want to push that a little bit. Um, the, the, the extinction we experience now <clears throat> is uh, forced on us by Adamson. Uh, it, it's not the result of something we choose. Trees, animals, babies all die, and they make no moral choice. So when it says the wages of sin is death, um, it doesn't mean that you die now because you've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. It means that you die now because of Adam's sin. Now, the death at the end of the millennium, when everybody has been resurrected and all are conscious, and some make the choice not to go with God, that death is a consequence of your personal choice. So the text that says the wages of sin is death, it's really saying the wages of Adam's sin is death. For us now, the sleep death, now. yes. Yeah. And the choice you make at the end of the millennium um, results in death as a consequence of your personal sin. Okay. So all that worry when... I was young about if I got in a car accident or if I didn't wake up from my sleep and I hadn't remembered to ask for forgiveness for all my sins, that wasn't going to be a predictor of whether I was saved or not. <laughs> yeah. I could have really used that information. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe pass it on to your children. <laughs> oh, yeah. Save them the anguish. Yeah, heavenly peace. Mm -hmm. So now, you see, now we need to talk about what happened to Jesus on the cross. Did he just go to sleep for three days, three, 36 hours? Um, or did he actually experience what happens at the end of the millennium, which is total annihilation? So it makes a big difference if you know about the sleep death, and the permanent death. And so Jesus calls out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he calls that out in his experience, uh, he cannot see himself being resurrected at that point in time. So he actually experiences the loneliness of the, of the permanent death. Mm -hmm. from which there is no return. I've accompanied many people 
into death. And I've never had anybody uh, call out as they're dying, God, you've forsaken me. The people that I've accompanied in death are generally quite peaceful. Mm. And, and uh, they usually admonish me uh, to be faithful so they can see me on the resurrection morning. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if dying people do that with all pastors or whether they regard me as a special case that needs some encouragement. <laughs> but here's the incredible thing about Jesus is that even in his dying moments, he's caring for the thief on the cross that's responding, he's caring for his executioners. It's astonishing, really. So Lazarus will sleep uh, for four days, and then Jesus will raise him up, and he will then die a few years later again. So um, Lazarus dies twice and is resurrected twice, and we're hopefully at his second resurrection. That will be permanent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. It'll stick. Thank you. So we're on verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So Lazarus was a prominent person compared to the widow of Nain's son and Jairus's daughter. Um, they were also resurrected, but they're not nearly as important uh, in the resurrection stories of Jesus as Lazarus. So Lazarus had been dead for four days. Uh, the widow of Nain's son and Jairus's daughter was just, were just dead for a little while, a couple of hours maybe. Uh, so this is a messianic miracle. It's a golden opportunity for those present to believe that he was the promised, anticipated Messiah. Mm -hmm. Jesus has already completed three of the messianic miracles, and he healed an Israelite leper in Matthew 8, and he healed a congenital dysfunction in the man born blind in John chapter 9, and he exorcised a dumb man in Mark 9. So the reason exorcising a dumb man uh, was so crucial was that the Jews had a way of exorcising uh, people who were demon-possessed. They would call on the demon to name itself. And then once they had the demon's name, then they would exorcise that particular demon by name. And that seemed to work. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus exorcises uh, a dumb man, no Jew could do that. We're on verse 16. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. So this is the same Thomas uh, that is a doubter. This is a very skeptical uh, sort of person. Uh, he's my man, because if this man believes uh, Jesus is the Messiah, then it's easy for me to believe it. <laughs> Uh, but here it was he was dangerous for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. They wanted to kill him there. Mm -hmm. And, and here he's, it's, it's quite a statement of faith on his part 
mm-hmm. or resignation, perhaps that, you know, well, let's go. They're going to kill us, but let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and it also demonstrates his uh, loyalty to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Maybe all the disciples were ready to die with him, but they really desired the establishment of the nation of Israel. This hope was so meaningful to them, it overcame their fear of death. Mm. See, like this is why I emphasize having a hero. Even communist young people will put their life on the line uh, for the ideology that has become... uh, heroic for them. It's it's in the nature of human beings to do this. And it's exploited at times. We're on verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Yeah. So in plain language, this means that Lazarus is definitely dead for the sisters and the other people. Yeah. There's no chance that it is a coma or that is just unconscious. Evidently, the Jews had had experiences where a person um, seemed dead and then uh, came back to life again uh, unexpectedly in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, you weren't really dead until three days had elapsed. You know, that's why uh, they have wakes. Awake is when you keep vigil around a dead person for a day or two. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's because people had had experiences of comas. And they, I mean, the Irish are the most famous wakers. I'm not sure if that's the right (laughs) adjective. (laughs) Um, And... uh, so they they only buried you after they were sure you were definitely dead. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's encouraging. Yeah, it is encouraging. So we're on verse 18. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. So it's an interesting question to raise is why did Martha, who's a very active, energetic, uh, involved in any movement uh, kind of person, and Mary seems to have been more reflective, uh, why is this the reason why Martha rushed out to meet Jesus and Mary didn't? Or maybe there's another reason. Mary may have thought, was fed up with Jesus because he hadn't come in mm-hmm. time. And that she she was she felt things very deeply emotionally. Sasha, are you listening? Um, oh I know. I'm with Mary. I'm listening. I'm at the house. I'm crying with yeah. her. <laughs> so Luke ten verse thirty eight indicates it was Martha's house. So maybe we want to read that. Luke ten verse thirty eight. Luke 10, 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So it's just interesting that Martha is mentioned and not Mary. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that before. 
So here's another reason. The hired mourners were there. And so someone had to stay representing the family with the hired mourners. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another reason. Mary may not have heard the message given to Martha. And this, the fact that they were hired mourners there indicates that this was an affluent family. They have mourners present even after four days. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a while. But I think the point that you made that initially, I hadn't thought of before, but that really resonates with me that she, she was so all in with Jesus. And now this is such a disappointment. It just must have rocked her soul. And, and was probably reluctant to, to meet with Jesus but then later she does because Jesus has called for her, so she does go out. Yeah, so the, uh, another point that we just need to make is that this family is uh, a well-to-do family. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they can hire mourners for four days, uh, and Mary has the money to buy the very expensive perfume mm -hmm. and anoint Jesus with it. Mm -hmm. So this is a prominent family. Mm -hmm. um, we're on verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I want you to redo that reading, please. And I want you to do it with all the emotional gusto you can manage. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Yeah, like this woman's upset with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she's uh, a friend of his gives her the liberty to confront him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a relationship there, clearly. Yeah. Jesus is often confronted, you know. Um yeah, Martha confronts him. Uh, his mother confronts him at the wedding at Cana and says to him, uh, look, we, you need to do something about this embarrassment, you know. And he says, uh, well, my time hasn't come. And she says to the servant, now you just do whatever he tells you. <laughs> <laughs> like completely ignoring what Jesus said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Jesus confronted by his disciples about feeling all the feeding all the people. He's mm -hmm. confronted by the Syrophoenician woman who says, uh, "Look here, you need to bless me. I know I'm not one of the favored people." And Jesus goes this talk around about uh, uh, you don't give scraps to the dogs, and she says, "No, no, you even feed your dogs. So come on, get on with it." <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, he's confronted by the devil. So Jesus had a very confrontational life. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is also very confrontational. Um, you know, he says, your brother will rise again. She says, well, yeah, but what's the good of that? I know that only happens at the, at the second coming. Mm -hmm. and we needed our brother now. 
There are many passages. Uh, no, sorry. Chapter 11 comes after chapter 6. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because in chapter 6, Jesus is teaching about the resurrection when he comes again. Uh, it's three times he says, and I will raise him up at the last day. We're on verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Hmm. There are many passages which teach that both believers and unbelievers will be raised. In Acts 24, 15, Paul says, There shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And John 5, 28 to 29 says, For an hour is coming in which all those in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth. Those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So Jesus brings all to life again with their resurrection. The believers in Jesus enter into abundant or eternal life. Unbelievers enter into eternal death. Lazarus could not have died if Jesus was present because Jesus has life in himself. I just want to make that point. It's in John chapter uh, 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of the world. Okay. Like you can't have, have darkness uh, if you have a lamp with you. You have to extinguish the lamp if you want darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when it says that uh, Jesus, in him was light, you can't have death in his presence. Yeah, that's fascinating to think that it, had Jesus been there, Lazarus wouldn't have been able to die. Yeah. So he had to separate, be, be separated so that he could die, so that then he, you know, would be able to raise it back to life again. You know, the sleep death that we experience now has more to do with the loss of hope than the ending of body functions. Eternal life begins when we connect with Jesus in intimate relation. Now the, so the best illustration for me, and this might tell you more about me than about truth, is, is when I fell in love. You know, I don't know, everything sort of changed in my life. And uh, I hope everybody in this world falls in love at least once. Mm. You know, there, there's this... Well, let me use the word magical change in your attitude. It's like that with Jesus. You know, it's it's what we call the rebirth. It's uh, it's there's this whole awareness that suddenly comes to your consciousness. Jesus loves me. He knows me by name, and I'm precious to him. And isn't that what it means to fall in love with another person? We realize once we have that connection with Jesus that the best is yet to be. Like, you know, for me, the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly uh, is just so revelatory of the second coming. You know, many people die now, uh, decrepit, arthritis and cancer, and who knows what else. 
And then you, you when you resurrected, you're 21 years old or 22, whatever you want. And you have the immortal bloom of eternal life. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, you are as God created you to be, which was destroyed by sin. We may find it hard to recognize ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. When I officiate at a funeral, I always ask for a picture of the deceased when they were 20, early 20s, to be on the screen so we can recognize them. Mm. <laughs> That's the best I can do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. We're on verse 27 and 28. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who it was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. So Martha makes this statement. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. It seems to me, and I could be wrong, it's more of a theoretical statement that she's making mm. rather than a personal of her own connection with him. She doesn't believe Jesus is going to raise Lazarus. It's a theoretical possibility, but not a probability. Martha respects Jesus as a teacher, but she does not grasp that he's also God, the Messiah, the Christ, the lover of her soul. Mary is ahead of her on this journey. So when Martha says, the teacher is here and he is asking for you. Uh, this kind of uh, indicates to me that uh, Mary had purposely not gone out to Jesus and Jesus was missing her. So that's the amazing thing about true love, you know, is true love goes and searches for the object of your love. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Martha came. Uh, and that's good. I'm glad she did. But Jesus had to look, go and look for this lost sheep. He had to send for her mm -hmm. and tell her, I'm missing you. Please come out. I can't talk to you with all those mourners and the noise they make. So this is a good place to stop. We'll pick it up uh, from verse 20, uh, 29. Uh, it's now the story of Mary and how she interacts with Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear God, we're grateful for Martha because there's hope for us who come to you on sort of a theoretical basis that we're just convinced by the facts that we cannot ignore what happened. But we are more grateful for Mary, who, who recognized that you were the lover of her heart and her very self, and that you saw in her a picture of a true disciple, taking all this expensive ointment and pouring it out on you extravagant. We want to be extravagant in our love for you, we need your help. 
because we're so preoccupied with ourselves. We want you to be the hero of our hearts and minds. And you promise new hearts for old. We claim that promise right now. Amen. find the recording of our podcast on our website uh, as well as the PDF document that we've been using so you can follow along or at least see all the passages and so that website is rediscoveringgod.ca and on there there is the, um, the, the PDF document, the uh, link for the podcast as well as our YouTube link. We are now on YouTube. So if you want to see us live, then you can go and watch it on YouTube. Wonderful. And we'd also love to invite you to our Monday evening Zoom discussion where Ian and Warren lead us out. And um, we are currently going through the podcast uh, where we get to have discussion and really dive in a little deeper and get our, um, our, our most pressing questions answered. Um, it's a really wonderful time of fellowship and connection with the group. Um, we share in community and resources as well. We'd really love to have you join us. We're going to be meeting um, at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time. Uh, you just add in the link 403-506-9201. We'd love to see you. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod2020 at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and know how this journey of rediscovering the God that Jesus knew is changing your life.